Welcome to Alex Wong, the director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management. Good morning, Alex. Hi, good morning, Stephen. And Martin Henniker, who is head of Asia Investment Strategy, sorry, head of Asia Investment Advisory at St. James's Place Wealth Management. Good morning, Martin. Good morning, Stephen. Strategy is actually good as well. But anyway, happy to be I back. I think so. <laughs> strategy is a good word, isn't it? Strategy is a very good word. Anyway, let's get off with the questions. No rate cut from the People's Bank of China, despite investor hopes. Why do you think that was, Alex? Well, I think probably they considered the uh, RMB, so uh, they do not want that uh, to be too weak, probably. And I think uh, they probably would still put things on hold, but I, I, but I think uh, eventually they need to do something because right now China is uh, in a deflationary environment, so that I think uh, is uh, quite important to reverse. So uh, eventually I think uh, we'll see some monetary policies coming out from China. So then I guess the question, Martin, is why were investors surprised? Because surely they realised the exchange rate could be an issue here? Yeah, I agree with Alex that um, the exchange rate might have played into this and also uncertain outlook about where interest rates in the US might head because inflation has still been sort of not being clearly easing off at, at uh, the least. Now, there might still be a reserve requirement ratio cut, though, and there's some other measures China has been rolling out. And let me highlight one other measure I think that people have been overlooking recently. So actually, when I put notes together for this interview, there are two good articles mm. I came across um, from Bloomberg. One is of uh, the Nikkei index climbing last week, as you will be aware, to a 34-year high. And I give you a quote from this. It says here, both the Nikkei 2 to 5 and the Topics um, had uh, one of their best years, the best performance in a decade, as authorities pushed companies to improve shareholder value. And so here's another different article quote yeah. from 15th December on China it says regulator urges Chinese companies to boost dividends and buybacks. CSRC, the China Regulatory Commission on 15th December said it will strengthen disclosure requirements for companies that aren't paying dividends and ease conditions for companies share buybacks. So there is a big, big drive. And I think that has been a bit overlooked to actually be more shareholder friendly in China as this pressure builds on these low valuations in addition to other measures. And maybe like in Japan, ultimately that might feed through perhaps into, into more potential. Another quick similarity of Japan and China is that both have huge household savings in China since 2020. Family bank deposits are up 65%. So either they could be wow. spent or maybe some could be invested in the stock market. So I think there is definitely the potential there. That's interesting. And we'll put the links for those articles that you've just recommended there, uh, Martin, on our LinkedIn site. So we'll make sure to share those with our listeners. Um, well, let, let's, that really flows on well to the next question, actually, Martin, which is overseas investors have resumed selling Chinese stocks in the new year, but valuations are historically low. Does this make sense? It makes perfect sense when you consider recency bias or behavioral investing, which is what I've seen, you know, classic mistakes being made since I've been in the industry, which is 24 years now, um, or roughly. <laughs> so um, basically, a lot of investors, you know, they look at the last few years and say, oh, that market hasn't been working, so I should be out. And they get more fearful and more pessimistic, but uh, they're less, they pay typically less attention to valuations, which are low. Not only are valuations in China low, but if you're looking at AH shares, those shares listed on both Hong Kong and China, they trade at a further 32% discount actually in the 
um, Hong Kong market. So nonetheless, as you said, a lot of investors, foreign investors are nervous. A, a lot of them are actually looking at buying EMX China or moving it all to India. But actually the discount of China versus India is also close to a record, over 50% uh, uh, lower. So we are saying, you know, we are not saying go all out China, but we are saying when you screen the growth for opportunities, don't exclude China just because it has fallen. It may be really good opportunities in terms of risk return pro- uh, potential now. Very interesting thing there about recency bias, which I guess can work both ways, because, of course, you've got the FOMO. And um, I know Enzio, one of our other guests, is a very big thing on recency bias. So um, you've got a supporter there. Alex, what do you have to add to that? I think uh, this is uh, a confidence issue in China right now. And uh, we just got uh, Baidu getting hammered uh, from uh, in the last two, two trading yeah. days. And I think that is a, quite a big uh, damage again because uh, people may think uh, Chinese stocks are already quite low, but uh, uh, a stock like Baidu can be down uh, like 10% in a day. And then basically on some... Uh, not not verified uh, news. Then probably people are still thinking uh, going in China would be a little bit risky. So uh, that's why I think uh, they are they are not doing so. And and right now other market actually are in a bullish mode. So uh, they are probably looking for momentum elsewhere. So that's why I think uh, they are going out of China. Yeah, I mean, you gave an example there of one of the tech stocks, and they do seem to be particularly vulnerable at the moment to regulations and other dynamics. So maybe they're ones to avoid, would you say? Uh, I think, uh, uh, first of all, uh, you, you, you should assume that uh, their support actually would be quite thin because uh, they, are, they, they, they basically are selling on earnings and, and prospects. And for Baidu case, I think people are quite worried about potential sanctions from, tri- uh, from the US. So uh, they probably um, are worried about the repeat of uh, things like China Mobile two, three years earlier. So I think that's why they are getting hammered uh, that quickly. Um, I think uh, uh, if you're a value investor, probably you can pick up some, but uh, just limit your, your, your bet size and, and because uh, you have to uh, account for uh, further volatility like this. Okay. Now, I see you both have your skis behind you, so I'm sure you're off to Davos straight after the show. Um, So say with you, Alex, what are you expecting to come from the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos this week? Oh, I think uh, nothing too exciting. Probably people would be expecting a uh, slowdown in the global economy because uh, we have uh, the uh, the high interest rate uh, environment persistent for so long. And so we probably expect something uh, uh, coming out uh, uh, from the U.S. To we are, we are probably finally seeing a slowdown, and then other parts of the world will be challenging as well. And then the keys would be whether we would see some uh, rapid change in monetary policies across the globe. Martin. Yeah, nothing much to add. Not sure if there's anything tangible coming out of that. The investors should take note of maybe one super brief thing. You know, there was a lot of focus on clean energy last year going into uranium investments you know one other area that i think might be a bit underestimated in terms of potential is hydrogen but you know just the word of caution it doesn't necessarily mean everything associated with hydrogen will fly in performance it's always really important not to get carried away with stories and do fundamental due diligence on any investments first now, I believe tickets for davos cost 25000 us dollars so that's 
250,000 US dollars. So um, I guess that's why we're not unpacking our skis and getting them ready for the black runs. Uh, but talking about, well, wealth, I guess, Oxfam um, have re released uh, survey results just before the Davos and the Economic Forum showing that five men doubled their wealth to $869 billion since 2020, while the poor are getting poorer. They're urging governments to limit corporate power and inequality through policies like wealth taxes. What's holding back governments from doing such a thing, Martin? <laughs> well... I, I would say, you know, this risk of the poor getting poorer, you know, one thing I would sort of like to contribute to that discussion, and i give you a quote here from an article published by the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago two years ago now, 2022, yeah. but it's really a key. i just give you a quick quote here. It says, trend inflation is fully controlled by the monetary authority only when public debt can be successfully stabilized by credible future fiscal plans. When the fiscal authority is not perceived as fully responsible for covering the imbalances, inflation will rise to ensure sustainability of national debt. So you're talking about wealth tax. Yes. Actually, I think the biggest wealth tax is inflation and negative real interest rates. And that sort of shows you if you have debts that's out of control, governments want negative real interest rates to get out of this. And it's typically the smaller investors who hold more cash and savings rather than investing in inflation-proof things. And if you're actually looking at the deficits in the U.S. now, the IMF just came out with a projection, 65 to 8% budget deficit projected in the U.S. in the next four years. Do you remember, to put that into context, when the Eurozone was formed, there was a maximum budget deficit any country could have of 3% because anything higher was considered to be potentially unsustainable. Now you're in 65 to 8 You're with correct. the higher interest rate mm. pressuring the US. I think this might get worse and this risk of negative real interest rates and losing your money as a wealth tax on savings might get worse. Okay, Alex, what do you think should we do, we do about the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer? I think you're talking about the super rich actually. Uh, yeah. Actually, income gap is uh, narrower because of the rise of AI, I think. If you look at the the, the blue-collar workers' wages in, in the U.S., actually, I think they are picking up quite quite quickly. But uh, those people in finance probably are getting uh, less uh, wage increase. So while we are seeing a, a uh, income gap getting narrower. Uh, but uh, the super rich actually would be um, would be uh, exceptional because uh, they, they, their wealth actually is based on their investment or the wealth of the company they owned. So I think uh, this probably would be the case. So... Um, if they do something public, they would hurt the middle class first. So I think uh, that's why they are not doing too much uh, on this. Well, apparently we're going to have the first trillionaire very soon. I don't think it's going to be one of us, but it'd be nice if it was, wouldn't it? Anyway, let's move on to, I, I think, Martin, you, were, you mentioned this, which is the US budget deficit, which is large and rising, and the higher interest rate environment is putting pressure on finances. Where do you see this going? Uh, let's start off with you, Martin. Yes, you know, with the budget deficit figures I mentioned, you know, that doesn't yeah. seem to be going in a very good direction at the moment. And if you're looking at the December budget deficit, 129 billion, that was 52% higher than December the prior year. For the first three or the last three months, which is the first three months of the 2024 fiscal year, the budget deficit so far is at 509 billion. 
Now, what does that mean? Three months, 509 billion. Uh, again, briefly putting it into context, Alan Greenspan, who was one of the few people who actually warned about rising inflation in 2020, just before it kicked off, he was saying that the unsustainable U.S. budget deficits are going to trigger inflation to rise and budget deficit at that time was at one trillion running around mm. one trillion pound mm. now we are in 500 billion in 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 three months so again translating that into a meaningful insight for investors i think uh, the last two years fears the fear of rising interest rates and maybe economic fears have been sort of dominating well, i think the the risk of inflation is still somewhat underestimated, especially now with this having eased off a bit. But with the high budget deficits, I think there's potential for this coming back to some extent, linking again back to the negative real interest rates. So for someone who can tolerate some degree of volatility and looking at the longer term, I think having a good allocation to inflation-proof assets to protect from this is a good idea. Alex? No, I think uh, this uh, budget uh, deficit would would still be out of control because uh, the government spending actually are unlikely to be cut to buy too much, and then uh, interest rates stay high, so the 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 interest expense on the ex- existing debt actually is still quite high, and then uh, from the revenue side, actually there are not too much things to be done. So I think uh, this uh, would be still out of control. And as uh, Martin pointed out, uh, this come from uh, one trillion to now over thirty trillion, then. And, 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 and I think uh, the number actually would still be going higher. So uh, this thing is still be out of control, I think. Okay, well, watch this space. Um, we've only got about 15 seconds for each of you on this last question. But Martin, I was reading a paper from you that said um, not every investment strategy is the same for everyone. And sometimes you need to be like a doctor and you need a, a different prescription. So what would your prescription be for a market optimist and a market pessimist in the current environment? And sorry, I've got 10 seconds for you on that one. Yeah, great question. So for the optimist, I would warn, don't over leverage, don't be too focused on any one area, diversify, deleverage, and not be too confident. For the pessimist who might be 100% in cash, worry about inflation. Right, we're going to have to end on that. So thank you very much for Alex Wong, Director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and Martin Henniker, who is Head of Asia Investment Advisory at St. James's Place. Thank you so much for joining us today, gentlemen.